Welcome to Absurdity. Today we are in our first episode of 2020, and we are Tony-less as he is out gallivanting about and traveling and enjoying the winter up in the Northeast. So Tony, wherever you are, we, uh, we hope you're having a great time. And today I am joined, Tony has officially been replaced by a very good friend of mine, a someone who's become now a colleague in ministry. And I was looking forward to the day that that would happen. I never knew when it would happen. And I think it happened sooner than both of us ever expected. Um, and a social media expert, whether he likes it or not. And I only say expert because he knows more than I do. Um, and so anyone by definition that knows more than I do about anything at all is an expert. <laughs> so Bryant Rodriguez, thank you for joining me, man. Uh, well, thank you for the illustrious introduction. Hopefully I can live up to it. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Ryan. Well, it is always a pleasure to make someone talk for an hour after they've gotten all four of their wisdom teeth removed. Yeah, I'm playing her today. So uh, <laughs> hopefully I can make it through without any serious aggravations. Is it? Uh, okay. I, I know my girlfriend recently got hers pulled out as well. And I know what her experience has been, but has your experience, I mean, you're two days in from when it happened. How do you like, does it feel bad? Does it hurt still? Like, is your jaw sore? I have a very lucky experience. I did not have much pain the next, the day of. So went under, woke up, got put in a wheelchair, went home, took my medicine, had a smoothie, and then I played video games for seven hours and solid. Yeah, it's been really solid, actually. I haven't really had a whole lot of pain. I've been using ibuprofen instead of like the hard drugs they gave me. And uh, it's been really smooth for me. I do, it does feel weird to have like holes in the back of my mouth. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if my mouth will ever feel the same again. But yeah, it's been really chill. The only real problem is that I'm hungry all the time. I am a heavy consumer of carbs and salts. And uh, that's been light on my diet over the last three days. So my body is very confused and thinks that we're in starvation. Oh, yikes. So it's, yeah, no, it's, it's like starting, you're losing a lot of weight basically is what's happening. This is the, welcome to Ryan's the expedited Ryan weight experience. loss. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Ryan Becker weight loss experience extravaganza. Um, no, so you are uh, lay pastoring alongside of me. If you don't know what lay pastoring is, basically we're campus pastors at a, uh, at a local church but we don't get paid for it. That's what lay pastoring is. Um, and volunteer, yes. It's just volunteer. That's essentially what it is. Um, so what normal pastors who get paid complain about, that's what we chose to do for free. Um, except the, the bonus is that we work alongside a really great and talented leadership team. So it's not us in charge by any stretch of the, you know, any stretch of the imagination. Um, we have the areas that, we're, that we oversee and we kind of, you know, we do, we fulfill those roles to the best of our ability, but we work alongside a team. So it's not as much as a normal pastor would be doing full-time. That's correct. And if any, and if anything, when I've spoken to some of our friends who are in full-time pastoral work right now, uh, they have indicated that they're envious of us. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, because like this is, it's pastoring without like the same level of commitment. So it's like, if anything, I don't have the same baggage or hangups that I used to have like as a full-time pastor because I can, and at the end of the day, I now have a life outside of church. 
That's correct. Yeah, you have you have a whole another world outside of it, and we really can't emphasize how talented our our colleagues are on the leadership team. They are all so great uh, to work alongside and make my life becoming. Well, they make my life as as I learn what it means to pastor in a church in a local church so much easier because I'm able to just focus in on okay, oh okay, this is what people want. How do I fill that need? Oh yeah. Yeah. And when I I wish the one thing I, I I I wish that every pastor had was a was a group of people that just know exactly what they want to do and just uh individually and can just tackle and own their areas and do it well. Like the fact that I don't have to worry or you don't have to worry about whether or not the worship service is going to happen whether or not, you know, who's going to do what or who's, or, you know, if the music is going to happen and who's playing, like there's people that are overseeing every area of that. There's people overseeing the coffee, the espresso bar that we have. There's uh, people overseeing donuts and kids church and all of it. Like, it's really cool to see all of that come together, which really, I find it funny because people ask, will ask us like, well, what are you guys doing differently? And what are like, I feel like we're just doing things the way that, I don't want to say you're supposed to do it, but if everything we're doing kind of feels basic to some level. There's a, there's a, yeah, I think you're right. It's almost like we took the volume knob and instead of, you know, having it just drum at volume level four, it just pushed the volume to level seven, level eight, where we're filling in every lane that a local church might fill during your, any local church. You have hospitality, you have music and worship programming and children's programming. But instead of just like letting it exist, there's a number of people with talent, with vision, and with passion pushing it to be something that's really meaningful and fun and worth telling others about. Yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of growth has happened for that. But like the other reality is we live in a college town where there are several young adults. And when I say young adults, anyone from college students up to like 35, like there are so many people in this city already that are like, they may not be fully plugged into the church, but if you're a college student, you you are more so than most. But um, like, it's just church is more accessible here. And uh, when when there's thirty Adventist churches in like what ten square, fifteen square miles, or something like that, like um, it, it it is, it's it can be easy for a lot of people to get tired of the options that they've grown up around or otherwise like there's some factors in our growth even, and I'm not trying to undercut what we do at all, but like it is a reality that this isn't like a grass is greener situation. Like this is just, we have a demographic and a context here with college students, with young adults, with uh, young families that were kind of just ripe and waiting for something like this to happen. And so our church has been, um, has been really cool to watch it take shape. And I joined in late. I joined in when I moved, but things had already been in the works for, and been, what you guys had five pop-up services before I showed up, I think, or four pop-up services and things had been being planned for almost a year prior to me showing up. There was a lot of labor that some of our colleagues were doing long before even I stepped in. I think I stepped in uh, or invited myself into the team 2018, yeah, late 2018. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of prayer, a lot of vision casting and a lot of thinking over how it was going to look like. The pop-ups were successful. And 
I'm not going to lie. I think I was a little nervous about going weekly because it felt like, okay, it's one thing for it to be a special occasion once a month, but it's a whole nother thing for it to now be the weekly occurrence. And both on the labor end, are we going to have enough hands to make it mm-hmm. the, to the level that we want to make it as well as, is it going to lose some of the luster? But time and time again, God has shown that you're totally right. There was a need for this kind of community it is true that we are in an area that has a high number of Seventh-day Adventists or former Seventh-day Adventists that would tap into a church expression like this one. The rich part of my involvement at Crosswalk Chattanooga has been able to be part of something that is truly quote unquote evangelistic. We had a friend on the leadership team who met someone this past week that had not connected with the church for a long time, had expressed concerns about being hurt and burnt. And she came with her children to church this last Saturday. And we were all both fully confident as well as fully committed to giving her the kind of experience that would make her feel welcomed and like she belongs and like she has purpose if she continues to be part of our community And that is something that I can't always experience when I go to other churches of any denomination. There are so many times when you walk into a church and uh, it's either cold or distant and the messages are very in-house. And all of a sudden I just sat around for an hour and a half and I feel like I was watching something happen that had no part or role for me Mm. or interest in me. And so to me, that has been the great value because I think that oftentimes our churches lose that evangelistic uh, permeation where no matter what week you come, you're going to have an, a, a moment that's going to connect with you. It's going to resonate with you. It's going to make you feel welcomed and it's yeah. going to invite you to come and be a part. Absolutely. And, I, and you know, I don't think that we expect that for every single person that ever walks through the doors, though we hope it. Um, but I mean, the reality is it is like, I don't want to say it's demographic driven, but there is a demographic that this sort of thing appeals to. And my my only response and my main response when it comes to uh, you know people asking about, well, you know, you only appeal to a certain type of of person or a certain type of worship style or whatever. And I go, yeah, and praise God, there's room for all of these different styles and expressions in God's church and God's kingdom. Like that's really cool, and it is. You know, if if it isn't something that it that floats your boat, so to speak, like there are other options, there are other ways to connect and and plug in. And man, we even know some people who can't sit in the service because of the volume, but yet they connect. They watch the sermons later at home. They help out with you know with kids, and so they still plug into the community, even even though the service itself isn't fully accessible to them because church is more than the service. So I, I it's it's really cool to be a part of something like this. And the reason I, I brought it up and the reason we, we talked about this was uh, not just because we like our church and, and want to brag, brag about it, um, but because, I mean, both of us studied theology yeah. um, in college, both of us with the, with the intent of going into full-time ministry of some sort. For me, I never really considered it directly that I would be a pastor, but um, I would be in ministry in some way, shape or form. And pastoring is one of those options. But for you... I don't actually, did you see yourself full on like your calling and your, your kind of your direction as full-time pastoral ministry? 
When I was going to college, the point of my going to college was so that I could get a four-year theology degree and get a job with the church as a pastor and have a simple, happy life. Gotcha. So, yeah, um, I definitely was going to get my degree at Southern because I wanted to be able to enter into conference work simply and easily. Gotcha. So yeah, we're talking within the framework of Seventh-day Adventism. So for those of you who may have a theology degree at your alma mater or at your current college, uh, this isn't the same kind of theology degree. This is specifically a ministry prep or pastoral prep theology degree, which means that it's studying a specific denomination, our our denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, That is the uh, you're studying those beliefs and you're studying ministry within that framework and in that denomination versus typically if you see a theology degree, like the question I always get is like, Oh, so like a religion degree and yes and no. Right. <laughs> uh, yes and no. So that it, it is a specialized track. Think of it like uh, nursing being preparing you to be a nurse, not studying hospitals. Right. There is variation across the Seventh-day Adventist universities in the way that they approach and form their theology degrees. But selecting the one at Southern Adventist University was definitely, whether I was fully aware of it or not at the time when I was making my decision in 2013, it was committing to a pre-professional track that was essentially trying to get you to be plug and play at a local church yep. within the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. And I think it I think the program does a pretty good job of it. Um, I know because I ended up having to plug and play um, and I did well professionally. I didn't do well personally, but that's that's more on like me and the habits I had and decisions I made versus um, and some of the circumstances I actually did find myself in. like some of that wasn't completely self-directed. but um, professionally, like I did I did fine. I, I did great and I and I don't say that like, Oh, pat myself on the back. Like I, I, I'm confident that I went there and did what I was meant to do there um, and filled my role. So that's, but for you, your journey has been slightly different than, than, than mine in that, what, which to be fair, most people's is different than mine. I got a very weird, I had a very weird track outside of college and I don't mean that even in a brag, you know, brag way either. It's just like, I had a very unique I don't know other another way to describe it other than unique. I was supposed to only supposed to go straight to seminary, end up accidentally interim pastoring for like three months, and then within those three months, someone asks me, "Hey, uh, will you uh, will you stay pastoring us as our new senior pastor?" And I'm like, "Oh, uh, sure." And then I end up doing that. Like it was it was kind of a, just a bunch of weird opportunities that came. Was there anything and, that made you decide to stay versus go to seminary? Yeah, I like the people. Um, and honestly, the town I lived in was pretty darn similar to the town I grew up in. Like my apartment complex was right behind a movie theater. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it was the closest it was. And I had a Taco Bell, which um, that Taco Bell, I ended up going on a date with the drive through worker. That's how much I went to that Taco Bell. Um, and we only went on one. Um, and that was all that, that's all that, that was needed. Um, and like, yeah, there was a lot to do around. I just struggled personally because I didn't have a lot of people around. And uh, my churches were of a higher average age than I am, uh, significantly higher average age. And uh, so I, I struggled privately, but really I liked the people. I thought there was a lot of potential there. The church members themselves were ready for something new. They had been through a lot of 
crises and catastrophes, but they were ready to heal from those things. Yes. So the fracturing process was already done and they were really just kind of ready for restoration and reconstruction. And so that's an area that I love speaking into. And so I was, I saw a lot of potential there for me to learn, for me to grow alongside them and, um, and just for us to accomplish a lot together. And I think we did in the, in the time that I was there. So, um, but that's ultimately why I decided to stay within the month, three months that, that I was supposed to be interiming. But talk to me about your journey. Like you were in, you were at Southern. So what happened, you know, immediately following your graduation and, and how, what was your path towards ministry? Well, my junior year, I met a girl uh, who is my wife now. And so that meeting of a girl kind of changed a little bit of my decision-making because up until that point, my thinking was that I would go through my senior year of interviews and then I would probably go to Egypt for a little bit to do some uh, ministry at now Union Academy as a teacher or chaplain. However, meeting uh, meeting my wife and wanting to commit my life to her uh, altered some of that stuff. So when senior year came around, I was already engaged and was wanting to be with my wife. And she was going to be wrapping up her nurse practitioner degree from Southern Adventist University after I graduated. Uh, she just graduated in uh, December of 2018. So there was going to be, and I was set to graduate May, 2017. So there would be this, so that, so I, so I go into interviews and there was this kind of commitment that was very apparent of wanting to be in this area or I would have to be in a long distance marriage. And so understandably, so I, there wasn't really much um, interest from the people who were hiring and the ones who would be able to give me a job locally did not uh, see me as someone who would fit in the churches that they would be able to give me a job at. So I went through my senior year interviews uh, without much of any interest. Uh, and if anything, I think I went through it aware that I wasn't going to get much interest from anyone because of mm. the situation and the decisions that I had made, which created drama and conflict and tension in my relationship with God and my relationship with my partner and also with myself and with my church. So yeah, that was my senior year experience. Got to the end of it, aware that I had nothing in terms of a full-time church job and I needed to pay bills because I was going to get married later that year in 2017. I graduated May, 2017. I was set to get married in late August of 2017 and my wife was going to be starting full-time school uh, going into the first part of 2018. So that would reduce how much she could work. I was in a bit of a difficult situation. Thankfully, I had acquired enough media skills during my time at Southern because of my interest in film and photography that I was able to secure an internship in a media job with McKee Foods Corporation. The one caveat to that was that my internship was actually up in question because my fit on the team that had hired me was uh, being reevaluated. I had been not the greatest worker, but also they had had them they they hadn't quite understood what they wanted, and so when they took on an intern, they overestimated how much uh, buy-in there would be from from senior leadership on creating uh. videos for communication internally. By some 
divine stroke of luck, I happened to meet someone on a photo sh- on a video shoot that I was uh, recruited to be a spokesperson in purely because I was millennial and I could talk who then later found out that my internship was going to expire. He was the, he is the manager of digital and social advertising for McKee foods. And so when he found out that my internship was set to expire, there was something about the conversation that we had had on this video shoot that made him interested in me. And he requested a transfer of resources that was approved like the day before my internship expired. So I had four more months of internship and (laughs) that's where I was at when I was graduating in May, 2017. Dang. Okay. So um, not, if if I had a unique path, uh, then I don't even know how to describe yours um, because yours is a complete like, I'm going to take a left turn here, um, still believe everything that I believe, but take a left turn still career-wise and... Um, that internship did lead to what is currently a full-time job, correct? That's correct. I am the social and digital media strategist at McKee Foods. After my internship expired in November, my manager worked really hard to create a role for me at the company. And in February of 2018, I was able to start full-time at McKee Foods and help uh, pay bills and get my wife through school. Uh, and now she's my cash cow, so that's amazing. <laughs> So it did turn into full-time employment, but yeah, I mean, I had no interest or idea or desire to work outside of the church. I think that if you were to look at my resume, it would become apparent because most of my work has been like very, not just church or Christian related, but like very Seventh-day Adventist. And so to then enter into a world post-graduation, post Southern Adventist University where my full-time employment was going to be coming some from somewhere else. Well, that was a, that was very disorienting. It was destabilizing. And uh, to be honest, I think I was, no, I don't think I know. I was just very upset. I didn't go to church for a whole year. Wow. Um, And I, I can imagine like for me when I was pastoring, and I was going through my own depression and uh, dealing with isolation and trying to figure out, uh, you know, hobbies that didn't have to involve other people because I played soccer through college and you can't, what am I going to just do drills all day? Like there's no, there wasn't a lot for me to do, even though there were options for stuff to do. Um, you know, in that time, I remember questioning my own purpose, my own kind of calling there and position because it felt like, if this is something that I was supposed to be doing, then I feel like I should be thriving more than I am, right? And and that was something that I experienced as someone who knew that the path I was on was was supposedly the the path I was supposed to be on. You, you were ha- on a traditional path. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, as unique as it you, was, you it's still a, a traditional path. Yeah, like was I was in full time ministry, path, right? You do yeah. church for two years and then you go to seminary. Yep, exactly. It was just the way that I went about it was completely weird. And for you, I can't imagine how how much more amplified that that kind of doubt and and hurt can can be, and the, those questions can be uh, when you're when you're not even in the field that you thought you were supposed to be in. And so, I guess talk to me about that, like you know your expectations versus reality, because you know at the same time you're all you're you were already married, so that's a that's a plus, right? 
Um, I'm not married. That's a minus. Um, <laughs> and though to some listeners that might be a plus. Who knows? Pros um, <laughs> the but but yeah. What 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 was that expectation versus reality for you? And and how did you? I guess how did you learn to accept the differences and 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 um, yeah, and just accept what reality was at the time. I think before we dive into some of the particular details, it might be helpful in case some of your listeners aren't aware of some of the language that gets utilized in theology school about work and calling. It might be helpful to just give them some of the ways in which that can add to the pain or confusion. So oftentimes people don't speak about, did you get a job offer? They'll ask you, did you get a call? Yep. And when you say it in that way, what it does to young impressionable men and women is that it makes you feel like, oh, either God called me or not. But it's not really that. It's a job offer because for those of us like Ryan and I who have a commitment and a calling to edifying and helping spiritual growth happen, my status as an employee of a denomination or institution doesn't change that. Yeah. And I say that knowing that it's true, but my gut still gets weird <laughs> because it's there's something about being able to be fully associated or identified with a denomination that for someone like me does something. It, yeah. it, it provides a sense of validity and 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 acknowledging and and a communal support that means something. And I know that it's abstract and maybe it shouldn't mean as much as it does, but it does. And it's just the reality. So those are some of the ways in which you kind of grow into understanding what it means to work for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And you have this language like calling, did you get a call versus mm-hmm. did you get a job offer? that then can become confusing and painful when you don't get a quote-unquote call, which is just a job offer. Well, and then you've got, you've also got the <laughs> the structure side of it because hiring for us is a little bit more centralized than for other denominations because it's not a local church. You're not a local church hire in most cases. You are a conference hire, so a conference will- If can, anything, local church hires are maybe looked down upon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there are less opportunities for them, unfortunately, um, because of the fact that they're local church hires, they may not get health insurance benefits unless the church itself is able to pay for them. Um, but because of our tithe structure, churches often don't have the kind of local church or local on hand money to do that kind of thing. Um, but for for us, it's you're interviewing with a state conference or a regional conference, and then that that conference then places you in a church. Typically, um, some pastors get some input there; other pastors don't. Uh, you're just kind of, so in, in some cases, it's almost like you're stationed. Um, That's correct. And employment is hard in general. Like one of those things that I like to tell all of my friends who are in any profession is that employment is hard across the board. Don't get too bummed. <laughs> but uh, the reality is that there's a few dynamics in the way that pastors are employed coming out of college that add to the hardness and perhaps difficult chip of it. Yeah. You don't know what you're interviewing for. of the time, you have no idea what you're interviewing. You walk in, you're 20, 21, 22, 23, mostly. So there's a few who are going to be older with with, with families and stuff, but most of us are going to be late, early 20s. You walk in with your little resume that isn't that great, but it's your resume. And maybe you got coached up by a few of your professors. And then you get asked really vague questions like, when did you get your call to ministry? 
what would you say to someone who is wanting to understand the love of Christ more? Like you get these really vague questions and out of those questions are somehow supposed to identify you. And obviously like what you don't know on the front end of things is that in the back end, there's been research that has been done by the conference people who are interviewing you. Yep. That there's some sort of grading system that you've been placed. You know, there's all sorts yeah. of dynamics that are happening in the back. But you think you're walking in and you got to like nail these three vague questions. Otherwise, you're done. Oh, and by the way, uh, conference employees, for all the opinions that we might have, they tend to be over. They have they have a lot of things that they end up having to do. And when they're going through those interview rounds, they're usually interviewing, depending on your school, but somewhere at Southern, you're going to interview like 10 to 15 people over a day or two day stretch. In 30 minute interview time at, slots. At most. Yeah, at most. At most. And you've got to decide, is this someone I want to put in this church that needs a pastor right now? And I can't emphasize it. You don't know what you're interviewing for. You may not want that job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, there there are people I know that have graduated that I now know had they accepted a call that they had been given or they had been, you know, a job they had been offered, they would have hated it. Um, And they count themselves lucky and blessed that they decided to go with this other call or this other offer because... Um, yeah, it is. It's a, Hey, we're offering you a call to be our employee. That's what the call is. And from there, then you find, you may find out where you're going. A lot of seminary graduates, when you, when, when you finish your graduate work, uh, and get your master's, most people are finding out like right close to graduation where they're actually going to move to, going to move to, and they're, and they're end up stuck with like two weeks to figure out all of their moving arrangements, uh, after they graduate, right? Like you've got to go now, like you've got to, You've, this is where you're going. Good luck. Have fun. Um, and yeah. you're like, oh, all right, I guess. And I, I'm sure there are lots of dynamics that could help explain or at least provide some context to why it is that it's like the way that we have it. But the reality is that it's not fun and it can create challenges. And so, yeah, I had, you have that experience. So that's my senior year. And then I graduate and then I'm like, okay, I don't want to go to church. I'm not going to church. I don't go to church for a year, but, and Ryan, perhaps you can have, you probably have some sympathy to this too, but but, but perhaps you, it played out in a different scenario for individuals like us who, regardless of whatever our status is in terms of denominational employment, you have this commitment, you have this calling of your life. The Holy spirit can't let you be free for some reason. And so, yeah, I don't want to go to church, but I I'm, I'm consumed. I'm overwhelmed with the desire to provide uh, space and time for individuals to connect with God and to grow. So my wife and I start doing a home church once a month in our in our place, and that becomes church for her and I over the next year. Mm. And it was a tremendous blessing. And that was my outlet, if you will. That was the way in which I could continue to be true to my calling while at the same time mm. being aware that I was going to have to make my money elsewhere. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. And yes, uh, 90% of the stuff I do is because of that stupid, nagging, uh, overwhelming feeling or urge that like this thing that I have on my heart is the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and, and I hate it and I, and I can't stand it and yet I listen to it. Um, you can't not listen to it. I know, it, right? exactly. Yeah. Like it is, it is a, it really is a compulsion. Um, I was recently listening to someone talk about generational curses, this, this kind of things that are, kind of almost almost feels like it's DNA passed down. I kind of tend to feel like it's just you watched your parents do this as a kid and subconsciously you picked up all of their habits. <laughs> um, but the 
Um, but it's almost like it's that it's that strong of a compulsion to do something that you've not a, a tendency or a behavior that you've you've always are always naturally tended towards. Uh, it's the same for listening to this. It, it is that it is that that voice that is that is compelling you to do something, and it's like you can do no else. And it will not let you be satisfied. It will not let you be quiet or be in peace until you're actually doing the thing that it's calling you to do. So yes, I 100% understand it. And uh, it frustrates me and I love it all at the same time. Uh, and so then I, I, I'm, I don't know exactly how you plugged in with Crosswalk as, it, as it's... Turns out I was there for the initial conversations about it. I didn't even know. Um, I think you were in the room, weren't you? Yeah, you were and, getting prepared to come on full time there. And um, and no, for for I mean, when they had originally even talked about just it as an idea. Oh, I yeah, didn't know we this. were all in Atlanta at one project, and we were walking to get coffee, and that's when the conversation started. But I had no idea that was happening around me. Like I was talking with a student that we were trying to convince to come to Southern, and I was just getting coffee and hanging out with people and like just having a good time. Uh, I remember Tim told me that a podcast was a dumb way to uh, make money. And now he's reviewed my podcast with five stars. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Love you. Um, that was a great day. Uh, and the uh, I remember I had no idea that that was what was happening at that time. And uh, so for you, I don't know exactly how you joined in, but somewhere from between home church and crosswalk, you actually then, I guess, yeah. What was that transition? When I when we started our home church, we we were operating from a mindset of we want to provide space and community and and belonging and spiritual edification to individuals who don't feel at home or safe or at peace in a in a traditional church. It wasn't there was no intention of it being a big like screw you Seventh Adventist Church you didn't employ me so now I'm going to start my yeah. own church or denomination like there was never that intention i think it was always it was always just an outlet of like okay so i i i i feel called to provide um spaces to these individuals and uh i'm going to do that and the only way i can do that to its fullness is by setting up our own space here at home and it was successful i think our highest attendance at one point was like 37, 40 people, which was quite wow. a bit for a one-bedroom apartment. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. And it was successful in hitting its target demographic too. A lot of my mm. friends who were artists, filmmakers, queer, um, or just disconnected from a traditional Seventh-day Adventist church in the great smorgasbord of church options that there are here, uh, they were enjoying it. We explored a number of different issues, um, a lot of them in the intersections of mental health and uh, spiritual growth. So it was a successful endeavor. But over that year, uh, between graduation and connecting with Crosswalk Chattanooga, I experienced a lot of personal growth on my own. And I came to realize that God was in control of my life, that there was many things that I was learning in my corporate workplace that I probably would have been unable to receive or listen or learn in a uh, ministerial workplace, uh, much mm. less a pastoral job at a, at, a, at a small district or even in seminary. There were certain habits that I was overcoming that I was that, that were good in terms of like communication and just professional diligence. 
learning to show up to work. I'm not, Imagine that. I'm not a consistent personality. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and also just kind of understanding that there were greater conversations to be had than whether or not I was employed by the denomination. Mm. And that ultimately it didn't, it didn't mean that God was rejecting me. It just meant that there wasn't space or a fit for me at the moment. And that's okay. Also, I spoke to a number of important people in my life and a number of them just reassured me that it just really had to do with the season of life that I was in. Mm. And that if anything, God had been merciful because uh, none of them could see me flourishing in a traditional employment route. So even some of the experiences that you had where you were like, had professional success, but encompassed with some personal struggles, they were, they, their indication, their speaking into my life was that I would have had neither. I would have neither had personal success nor professional success in a traditional route because of the way that I, I am. So a lot of these conversations are being had Home church is successful, but we're hitting a point where it's kind of beginning to peter out in terms of how much more people we can add or, or how much mm. we can scale a, a, a conversation, a facilitated conversation. Because I think if you've, I think you've all experienced this, if you are part of a, a truly small group, an eight to 14 person small group, there's a certain level of intimacy and vulnerability that is naturally engendered that you don't experience once you get 20, 30 40 yeah. people in a room, it becomes a little bit more public. And so therefore the levels of vulnerability and transparency are reduced. So frankly, we never recaptured the 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 power and the and the and the resonance of that very first home church where there was only 10 people of us. So so we're we're kind of like beginning to come to a point where we're like, okay, we're gonna have to probably begin to transfer ourselves to a local church where we can still build community, but do so in the context of a larger church context. Yeah. And so we started shopping, which is a very American Western way of approaching churches, a very Adventist Mecca way of approaching a church selection, yeah. but it's just honestly probably the way we did it. Uh, we we, we kind of started looking at a couple of different churches that we had had some interest in. Um, there was one that Janice began to connect with right away. Uh, before I heard about Crosswalk Chattanooga being started, I couldn't quite connect with any of them. And I really was looking to do something that was going to be a little different. I, um, For those of you who don't know me, which is all of you, uh, I, I have a real <laughs> commitment to uh, church planting and community development. Uh, I love creating things that aren't there yet. And so... I was not afraid of committing to a church that already had lots of history in existence, but I would my my preference would have been to do something new. And so, when I found out from a friend of mine who had been coming to home church and loving it that there was going to be a crosswalk church plant in our area, I immediately tuned in. I did not know much about Tim Gillespie, but I had heard him speak and had a brief conversation with him in Redlands during uh, the wedding weekend of one of my close friends. Mm. And I remember that experience both in terms of like the church that we were at and as well as the message that he gave as being both very, uh, very charismatic and very interesting, but also quite biblical in a way that was not common for churches that do the lights show. 
And mm. so there was something that was interesting to me. And so when I heard that there was going to be a crosswalk church plant and that it was going to be uh, organized by some very talented people, I knew that I wanted to be in the room for that. And whether I was a pawn or a sergeant or something in between, I didn't care. I just wanted to be able to devote my time and attention to helping that become true in our area. Mm, that makes sense. And I can, I, I can see why, and because you already knew the people involved in this, as did I, it, it does become a lot easier to just, you know, you already have their number, just throw them a text and like, hey, I'm coming, whether you like it or not, I'm being <laughs> a part of this. Um, so for you, and, and, and this is really the heart of, of this episode, is that tension that you were in between your, um, you know, between your calling and your current reality or your circumstances. You know, now you're in a place where you're still professionally doing non-full-time pastoral work, um, but you're able to still have that expression of ministry through what we're doing at Crosswalk. And, and the... So technically, you're still kind of in that tension, right? Or have you have you said, nah, it doesn't matter if that ever comes. Like I'm happy here. Um, like, are you still in that tension, or is this, or or is it mostly resolved in your mind? I'm still in that tension. I make my money tweeting about snack cakes on the Little Debbie social media accounts, and it's super fun, and <laughs> it's uh, more fun than I would have ever imagined, to be honest. But yeah, I am overwhelmed with the calling to ministering, to pastoring, and to spiritual edification. And so I don't know how the cards are going to sort themselves out. If anything, the growth that I've experienced is um, gratitude, a movement away from anger and resentment. And mm. why is it not the way I want it to be towards gratitude and joy and uh, an appreciation of the way that things are. Because again, a number of people that I respect have spoken very directly into my life and told me that the traditional route was never for me and that that's mm. okay. And that they're grateful that I didn't go through it, even though I had to go through something much more challenging to, uh, was it, there was, there was somewhere I, there was somewhere I listened to where it just talked about how, a lot of us aren't used to like strong criticism or harsh rebuke or even difficult conversations with people because we're so used to like, I got good grades and I went to college mm. and all my teachers gassed me up and all that stuff. So like not getting employed right away in the Seventh-day Adventist church was a pretty, what was what was like the, one of the first times where things didn't play out the way I wanted it. I've had, a, I've had few experiences in my life where things didn't play out the way I wanted it. So you can imagine that there's probably a lot of personal ego that was at the root of yeah. of why I had such a difficult time after graduation. So once I sorted all that ego stuff out, I was able to take a step back and realize that I was in a tremendously blessed opportunity and that they had no reason for me to complain. Mm. It's a wonderful church community that I'm a part of. I have a lot of amazing friends like Ryan Becker and among others. Uh, he's a loser. He, Don't talk to him anymore. He's all right. So like I have a wife, I've, I am stable. I don't have a lot of student loan debt. Like there's so much blessing in my life that the particular details of the way that my money is coming to my pocket doesn't really matter anymore because I've recognized that, yes, I am called to minister. Uh, 
but that doesn't always have to look like I've been told it should look mm-hmm. like, and that that's okay. And again, nothing mind blowing there. That's not a revolutionary concept. No, not at but all. But it's one thing to state the factness of it, and it's a whole nother thing to internalize the, the the reality of it. Well, I think too, there's a there's a bit of wisdom and maturity that you demonstrate just by be, just by virtue of being willing to admit that there was pride and ego involved in some of your you know some of your decisions and and the reason that you struggled with a, with a lot of that like. For me, I had to get to a point where I had to realize, like, yeah, a lot of the issues that I felt in my loneliness and depression and isolation were my fault. Like, were decisions I made. Yeah, one hundred percent pride, ego. I would even add jealousy to it. Like, mm. there's there's a real dynamic there when you're coming out of college and uh, you feel like you have a good repertoire of activities and things that you've done, and perhaps even skilled in certain key areas that appear to look like what they would make you a successful Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And then when you aren't gifted an opportunity, but other people are, it becomes difficult to not immediately default to a position of jealousy and envy. And I experienced that. And it's still something that I have to work through on a daily basis. But the reality is that where I am right now is where God wants me to be. And I have to come to terms with that. And, Mm. and, and, you know, Ryan, when you when you and I were talking about me coming onto the, your podcast and discussing doubt and growth and the newness of a year, like there's a sense in which all of our days are this continuous movement away from doubt and towards growth, away from fear and towards faith. Where okay, you know, my reality looks this way, but I can but I can accept that God's telling me that reality is actually this. And I'm going yeah. to embrace that. Mm. So for you, resolving, it seems like resolving the tension um, in the way it it, it it still exists, don't get me wrong, but at, at least becoming comfortable with it and, and living in it and just kind of embracing that this is this is reality. And I know that there is a there is a greater meta reality or narrative going on because of what God is doing. Um, it seemed like it, it, you didn't wake up one morning and said, this tension, I'm going to live in it and I'm just going to embrace this and I'm going to do it by step one, step two, step three, step four. And, you know, I, I feel like you didn't game plan this out um, because I don't think any of us game plan life out that way, though. I think a lot of people, when they hear a conversation like this, they wish that, like, I just want the steps. The three steps to yeah. living in the tension. <laughs> um, but what I what I do want to know is, what are some of the ways that you resolved some of the issues that you grew from or what were some of the ways that those came to your attention? Uh, the reason I ask that is I wonder if there is someone who can, who might be listening, who may be able to identify some of those same things in their lives. Should they hear something like this or an example of someone having done it? Because I do think you can, you can look around and say, okay, what are the things that I can work on now? Or what is the way that I can at least embrace whatever this, whatever this present reality is. Yeah. Whatever this current mess I'm in right now. One of the first things that I did to my, for myself that was tremendously beneficial that I think your podcast does a great job of giving space for is to allow myself to be upset with God. (laughs) Like I, I, I remember I had a friend who told me how his dad one time got really upset with God. And for a whole year, his entire, um, his entire year, his devotionals were just reading science textbooks. Wow. He never stopped doing his morning devotionals. He just, he was like, I'm just going to read science textbooks because I'm upset with you, God. 
and he did that for like a whole year. <laughs> That's and so petty. I love it. It's That's petty, so petty. And yet again, it's human and it's vulnerable yeah, absolutely. and it's transparent and it allows God to actually work with you because one of the worst things that we can do when we're in conflict with another party is to shut down, right? If you, if you disconnect and leave, then you're removing the opportunity for reconciliation. So to me, one of the first things I did was like, you know what? I'm upset. I'm God, I'm gonna let you know I'm upset. I don't like this. I don't like any of this. I love my wife, but I don't like anything else. And so I lived that, but I also didn't shut myself away from opportunities for learning. And sometimes when we make a petty choice, one of the difficulties that can come about is that you can allow yourself to kind of reinforce your pettiness. And obviously that won't be helpful. So I countered my if you will, frustrations by allowing myself to both stay in community that was Christian, also continue to reach out to people that knew the Seventh-day Adventist employment game and who understood my context and would be able to give me some straight facts. Yeah. And that was super helpful. Uh, So obviously just keep yourself aware of your reality through the witness of other people. I think other people are going to be really beneficial. If you're finding yourself like you're in in a situation where you're alone or where you, for whatever reason, there's like a a sense of like isolation, then that, that is extra challenging. But I don't think that necessarily means that you won't have an opportunity for some added perspective because the other way that I helped myself stay in perspective was um, through journaling, through writing, just kind of keeping aware of, okay, here's what I'm experiencing and here's where I'm at today. And, and okay, okay. So I'm, I'm going somewhere. One of the yep. one of the things that was really helpful to me was um, back before I retired from blogging, I wrote something. I think it was called "Confessions of an Unemployed Pastor," and I just identified myself. I'm I'm I I know I have a job, but I'm an unemployed pastor. That's how I feel right now, and this is what it's like. And 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 jotting that out was it was just a way of able to help me cope and release. The other thing too is I remember that blog. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so the other thing that you got, the other thing that I did too is I just allowed myself to stop caring about certain things. So, back in college, I was one of the people that people would bring into a room to help them bring opinions and thought points about what's going on in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, who's who, and what's what. Mm. I'm not that guy anymore. <laughs> not because, not because of any specific reason, but just because I said, okay, this isn't my, this isn't my workplace at the moment. My workplace at the moment right now is Crosswalk Chattanooga and McKee Foods, and I'm going to focus my attention and time on those two things yeah. other than my friends and my wife. And that's been really relieving. So like the other thing too that I think could be helpful for anyone in, who's listening to this is just if someone says, you're not in this right now, then that's okay. And just reorient yeah. your attention to where people are inviting you to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... There is a there is a bit of I I don't just want to sit on the at, or, or resolve this on the if you aren't where God has called you to be or where you feel you're supposed to be it's because you know you're being prepared for it later I think there's an element of that but I don't think that's always necessarily the case sometimes like sometimes I do think that we aren't where we thought we should be because of the consequences of our own actions or the consequences of the actions of another like so. I, I don't want to just say like, oh yeah, you're, you know, you're being prepared. But I will say the voice of a community and, and, and the voice of a, um, as a friend of mine calls it, a, a personal board of directors who don't actually know that they're your board, but they're the people that you go to and they have say in your life. They have a voice in your life that you'll listen to. Um, 
that is incredibly helpful when you are living in the tension because they can help you they can help keep you grounded and keep you centered in where you thought you know in the direction that you are wanting to go that's correct and 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 i think that you're totally right in pointing out that sometimes it's not just that we're being prepared for something else there's sometimes consequences that are being played out and we're just kind of leaving living in the aftermath of it and also what i would add is that there's no sense of like it wasn't that I realized that I was being prepared for something else that helped me come to what you're hearing right now at this this place of peace. It was actually a very pointed conversation I had with someone who said to me, you know what, your problem right now is not that you aren't where God wants you to be. Your problem right now is that you have too much pride and you're looking for an audience and God has given you a community. So which one do you want? Man, <laughs> and I was, I they was, rehearsed that. I know. Right. I was wrecked. Like I probably wasn't the first person he's ever said that to, but like I got wrecked. Like I remember just like spending the next three days, just like processing that statement because they were right. I'm, I'm a communicator. And I think that that is for a reason. I think that God has equipped me with that, but also like the disease of, of, of communicator types is that they can get so obsessed with where they're at, what platform they're on and what stage they have and what stage they don't have that you lose sight of what God has actually handed you and where God has given you influence and where your presence can actually matter. And especially with our social media and and the emphasis on like everyone needs to be a content creator who's going into ministry. Like you can, it can become a thing that you get so focused in on that you miss the fact that, oh, that's right. I'm here and yep. there's someone next to me who matters just as much as the hundred likes on that Instagram post, if not more. Yes. Probably more. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I think there's, I think there is a, there is a need to identify or to learn to identify when you do need to listen to someone else. I think, you know, you mentioned the isolation and loneliness as an extra layer of complexity or difficulty to that to to uh, personal growth in that tension, and I would agree. And the reason I would agree um, is now knowing and now being able to look back on my experience in that isolation. Even though I did have community through text message, phone, video games, whatever, the reality was people were not able to see me face to face. So I was able to control whatever the narrative was that I was giving them. There was no seeing through that narrative because I could craft whatever I wanted. And one of the the barometers for me or, or for where I was was how honest I was noticing myself being with those people. You know, with the people with the community that I did have. It was I would hide certain details of my life or I, you know, I wouldn't bring them because I don't want to have that tough conversation or it's just easier to uh, live in the things that are um that are gross or the things that I don't, I shouldn't be doing. It's just easier to accept that than it is to seemingly fight them on my own, fight those battles or demons seemingly on my own. And I noticed that in myself a lot. And so one of the things is even if, even if you are alone or you're around other people, being able to look at yourself and be honest with yourself about when you are hiding something from someone else, because that in itself is a flag that I think we do need to acknowledge and be on the lookout for when we're, when we're in that tension, because that tension, there is no, I don't know when it will resolve, right? There's no, Oh yeah. I know that my tension will only last until this portion, like, or, or until this point or until this call or until Absolutely, this thing. Because one of the things that I'm working through right now is 
okay, so is this a lifetime of tension or is this yeah, like exactly. a season of tension? Yeah. And for me, like the tension I always have, like there are sometimes, if I'm being a hundred percent honest on this podcast, like there are sometimes where even I'm in I'm in ministry, I'm doing so much. And there's sometimes where, man, I I get so I get so immersed in not the politics of it, but the the methodology and the culture of it all that I just feel like it's all such a sham. And I'm just like, why? Like, I see people that just go, you could just leave. Like, you could just not care about women being ordained and just leave the denomination and still follow Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, but also, <laughs> um, but it's that te- that's the, there's that tension that exists is because I watch other people just literally just walk away and they're super comfortable and fine. And I have this nagging, this pulling, that voice that we talked about earlier. This is nah, you're 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 staying put here um, because there's more work to be done. And but that is the tension that exists for me right now. Is is uh, it, it is something that that comes up on occasion. I have dreams about it. Like it it does. Uh, it is something that I that I have to pray about, and I have to. It's it's like the current reality that I work through, so to speak. What what has helped you keep going? Um, I think being surrounded by, um, being surrounded by people who are more concerned with the reconstructive journey of faith. Um, for for those who don't know, I am launching a new podcast in a couple weeks here. Uh, called A Beautiful Faith with Henry Johnson. And part of the reason that he and I decided to do that podcast was because both of us were in a place where we had become cynical. You know, being on a platform like Absurdity, it's real easy. <laughs> when all you're talking about is things that are absurd and make you frustrated, uh, it is easy to become cynical as a result and jaded. And we realized that we needed to make more space in our lives to talk about faith from a positive perspective and to talk about uh, the, this thing that we're so immersed in from a positive point of view and, and also to amplify the voices of those who also have the same desire. You know, um, a, a mutual friend of ours shared with me, he's like, you know, honestly, the reason I don't listen to absurdity is because like, that's just not this, the phase of life that I'm in, the season of my faith that I'm in. Like I'm kind of past the being angry about stuff and I need to, you know, I want to move into the, like I'm, I'm in the hopeful and reconstructive journey and there's nothing wrong with either side of those journeys. It's just, like the reality is absurdity speaks to one more than the other. Um, and so a beautiful faith then will help fill the other gap there. Um, but honestly, like making the space to, to look around and acknowledge and recognize the positive parts of why I'm doing this and to look for the hopeful stories or look for the heroes, so to speak, like that has been, I think the most sustaining thing for me aside from, you know, the, the, I guess obvious answer is staying connected to God, but like that's that seems like the easy, cheap way out of out of like not telling you really what I've had to do, <laughs> if that makes sense. That's why I say that. No, that totally makes sense. And 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 along with that though, I don't think that I would be where I am today if it wasn't because coming out of the deconstructing and reconstructing of spirituality and faith and mental health that, that, that we did through our home church experience, we then connected to Crosswalk Chattanooga in which I know that lots of people have different opinions about the way that the, that, 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 that the church is led and directed and created and, and how it functions. But the reality is that come and see, like you come to a Crosswalk experience and it's going to be Jesus first, middle and last. And to be able to have that as 
100% the guiding principle, as 100% the qualifying rule to everything that we do and everything that we say has been tremendously impactful because, yeah, it's cheap, it's easy, but it's true that without the presence of Jesus in my life, I wouldn't have this kind of sense of peace or hope or confidence that things get better and will continue to get better. Yeah, absolutely. And just so everyone is clear on this, like Crosswalk is nowhere in our notes. We did this is not like one giant long advertisement for Crosswalk. But we were talking about but our we were personal about, journey. Yeah, we're talking and about it's personal a part journey. of our personal journey. Absolutely. And it's like it's the current reality for both of us. We're, you know, we're both happy there and no, it's not always perfect. No people like people have gone and you know, maybe we failed at greeting them or, you know, we failed it at uh, or maybe they came on a day where the series was focused on something that was like a little bit disconnected from where they're at in this moment or whatever, you know, it's not, I don't think either of us are like promising some magical experience, 100% guaranteed. But I think what both of us are promising is that if you show up, we will do our best to make sure that you are to make the space for you to have that experience. It's correct. And there's a centering of Jesus that is refreshing because there's a sense in which not all communities do that. Sometimes it's about, Sabbath school. Sometimes it's about the mission. Sometimes it's about the offer. There's just so many other guiding principles that you'll find in any given week when you walk into a church. I don't think Crosswalk has the only one that's doing that, but they're doing. But we're doing it in a way that's that's very apparent. It's very committed, and I love it. It it means a lot to me because I'm a grumpy person. Jesus helps me be a little less grumpy. Same. That's I now I want a new podcast called I'm a Grumpy Person. That's all. That's all I want um, because I'm right there with you. I complain way too much about things in my life and that is one of the newer uh, revelations that I've had and I need to, uh, that I'm working through as well. But hey, here's to living in the tension and uh, and working to resolve personal growth problems <laughs> 2020. Uh, in 2020. Um, but Brian, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate you sharing your story. I love that I get to work with you and uh, work alongside you. And it has been cool to see you uh, flourish and thrive and start the initiatives that you started with, with this church and, and to lead in the way that you have. Um, but I want to give you the opportunity and kind of the open floor here. Any final thoughts you want to leave with listeners, anything you want them to know? I think I've talked enough. Thank you for having me, Ryan. It's been a pleasure to share about how I'm living in the tension. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a lifetime of tension or a season, but I'm grateful to do that with friends, with family, and with my Lord. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, Contact info, as always, is in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. 